Welcome back to the Master of None podcast, where we go 365 days, bringing you a podcast every single day. Nothing is off the table. The intention of this podcast is to master the short form podcast, as well as informing, as well as entertaining. So sit back, relax, and listen, and enjoy the show. Welcome back to the Master of None, and dear Lord, do we have a lot of stuff to cover. Today, we're going to be addressing a few of the topics of interest that were talked today on Congress as it relates to the whistleblowing series that happened in the Congress House hearing. So let's get into it. So first and foremost, this was a House hearing. It wasn't a Senate hearing. Obviously, it holds weight, but there's different committees within the Senate that do have a little bit more leeway uh, or power just saying that. But this was on display. We had Jeremy Corbyn. We had uh, Sean Ryan. We had all the individuals, Ryan Knapp, at this event. So whenever we look at it in terms of the who's who, and this might sound a little bit UFO dorky lore, but these are individuals, mostly um, Jeremy Corwin and, and, and George Knapp, um, really pioneered and brought in the story of Bob Lazar. So Bob Lazar talking about reverse engineering technology, almost like a full circle moment if you can imagine your George Knapp you brought the story back in the 70s of Bob Lazar, and now you're sitting in a congressional hearing talking about everything that Bob Lazar was talking about in having actual proof. You know, I can't imagine what that is like. But within this um, Senate, or I'm sorry, House hearing, it was about two hours and 30 minutes. Um, yesterday I was like, will it be bipartisanship? It was 100% a bipartisanship hearing. Um, there was no mudslinging of any kind. It was probably the most kumbaya. And how crazy is it that it takes aliens or um, unhuman technology to bring us together in order for us to be civil to one another? I have a few things I want to talk about, but I might have to break this out into multiple series and kind of focus maybe more on which individual whistleblower said and how it relates to um, the narrative as a whole. I think throughout this event, you know, kind of what I talked about yesterday is you're going to have two, kind of you're going to have more of the operators aspect of it as pilots and the analytics aspect of it from Dave, from uh, David Gresh. So once again, the whistleblowers were David Fravor, Brian Grave, and David Gresh. David Fravor and Brian Graves were um, Navy pilots, um, and they, they have seen the, the tic-tac phenomenon and David Gresh is releasing secondary information done with interviews as his time at NGA. Now, first, what you really have to realize is this is the first time we have seen David Gresh since that News Nation uh, um, interview. He hasn't really done the full media circuit. He's really been turning down a lot of media interviews, and he's really been trying to control the information. I find him to be a credible source based on his ability to articulate what he's been exposed to, and a little bit about his background. And today we learned a little bit more about his background. He did get a degree in physics. So he's kind of alluding that some of the stuff he was seeing kind of went past the realm of what he could potentially see. Now, whenever we look at this interview, I really do want to focus on some bombshells by David Grish because this stuff needs to be digested, understood, and fully processed. Um, and he has quite a few bond shells. And I really want to start with my opinion, which is probably one of the craziest ones that gives insight 
into um, government speaking with each other is looking at what he was saying, in fact, about the Russian and U.S. nuclear treaty that was signed in 1971. This is the agreement on measures to reduce the risk of outbreak of nuclear war between the United States and um, the Soviet Republic. Now, whenever you hear that, um, and this was signed back in September of 1971. Now, I really want to set this up so whenever you hear this clip, it makes sense. This was signed as a way to reduce nuclear war, and this was a really big part of these treaties because around 1971, I've talked about it before, like the SALT Treaty, things like this, these nuclear treaties set a new precedent for communication. So at any time, no matter what um, was going on politically between Russia and the United States, there was always these back channels of communication in order to de-escalate any type of nuclear situation. So there wouldn't be nuclear war. So I, when I'm playing this, I really wanted to keep that in mind as we listen to this and just kind of set the scene. And uh, specific treaties between governments. Um, Article 3 of the Nuclear Arms Treaty with Russia identifies UAPs. It specifically mentions yep. them. To your knowledge, are there safety measures in place with foreign governments or other superpowers to avoid an escal escalatory situation in the event that a UAP um, malevolent, malevolent event occurs? Uh, yeah, you're referring to actual uh, public treaty in the UN register. Um, it's funny you mention that. Yeah, the agreement on measures to reduce the risk of outbreak of nuclear war signed in 1971. Uh, unclassified treaty publicly available. And if you cite the George Washington uh, University National Security Archives, you will find uh, the declassified in 2013 specific provisions in the specific uh, red line flash message traffic with the specific codes pursuant to Article 3 and Article, uh, also Situation 2, which is in the, the previously classified NSA archive, what I would recommend, and I, I tried to get access, but uh, uh, I got a wall of silence at the White House, uh, was those specific incidents when those um, message traffic was used. I think uh, some scholarship on that would open the door to a further investigation uh, using those publicly available information. Okay, so uh, good news is I speak David Grush. This guy, when he talks, he's articulating in a way that I'm like, I, it's like you have to listen to him a few times to really understand what he's saying because he uses really big words and really strong analogies to provide insight into what he's talking about. There's a lot to get into as it relates to this measure because it's giving us a, a, a historical context of when it became normal to talk about this. I have the United, the UN Nations Treaty Series right in front of me, and I'm going to read you Article 3 so you can truly understand what it's saying. The parties undertaking to notify each other immediately in the event of detection by missile warning systems on unidentified objects or in the event of signs of interference with the system or with related communications facilities. If such occur, could create a risk, an outbreak of nuclear war between two countries. That is what the treaty says. It's an unclassified public treaty that is talking about unidentified objects. What do you think that means? 
to me, there is a lot of phenomenal points throughout this whole this whole discussion, but this one really stuck out to me because for no, for one, this is indicating back in 1972, if there is nuclear war that is going to occur, or if there's anything messing with the nuclear system, ICBMs, intercontinental ballistic missiles, there will be a system that goes into determining unidentified objects. What he is saying within this hearing is that there are specific codes. So whenever you look into the United Nations Treaty, you look at the communications between the United States and Russia, there are codes put in place to determine certain things that could be occurring within the nuclear warfare system. So if Russia system gets some type of radar or some type of intelligence that indicates the United States is firing up nuclear weapons, there is a code that they could send to indicate that the code is giving insight that the nuclear system is being manipulated by unidentified objects in the sky. I mean, what? Going back to 1971, people, this right here is the smoking gun for a lot of reasons, and here's why. We are having a conversation about nuclear weapons. Relations became normalized because nation states like this who had nuclear weapons started having MAD, which is mutual assured destruction, meaning if someone threw out their nuclear weapons, everyone would get destroyed. Now, MAD creates this some type of system of normalcy because we know we could just destroy, obliterate each other. Now, what it does is it pushes the threshold for everything that could potentially happen in this scenario. These treaties are a big reason why we haven't gone to nuclear war, and there's tons of them, and I've actually talked about them in podcasts. The fact that within this, Article 3 is indicating that unidentified objects could potentially interfere with these systems shows that they had the likelihood, the thinking, the intelligence to indicate that they had seen in 1971 and prior information where these UFOs and these spaceships could manipulate those systems back then, almost 50 years ago, you know? Whenever you hear that, you're like, wow. It makes me, like, go a little out of breath because, um, you know, throughout the whole, the whole thing, you know, and I'll probably talk a little bit about more of that, but this is something that, I think has such a weight to it and such a significance for what's going on as it relates to national security. And within the um, hearing today, they talked about this stuff has been going on since 1930. So the last little bit of information, once again, I just want to do it so it's not like overwhelming, is right here there's a question to David Grush from the House Representative from Missouri talking about if humans, in fact, have operated these types of flying objects. Occam's razor is that this, these aircraft, um, have they been identified that they are being produced by, by domestic um, you know, military and, um, contractors? Is there any evidence that that's what's being recovered? Uh, not to my knowledge, plus the recoveries predate a lot of our advanced programs that I previously am witting of, so... Um, would it be safe to say that there could be a scenario today where you have um, an aircraft that 
crashes and because it's been involved in one program from one federal agency and the but the but the agency that retrieves it does is not aware of that program and to them it, it appears alien in origin I mean that's a hypothetical situation I'm not aware of any uh, historical situation that would match that that you described so you're not aware it has not happened that you're aware of that I'm aware of and this answers a question of David Grush's when his whistleblowing ends it's a great question here's why First of all, it's getting into the detail to determine are humans flying these UFO spaceships within our atmosphere? Have they been reverse engineered? Is there some type of defense contractor that owns them? David Grush's whistleblowing information ends there. Okay, he doesn't know. He's not aware of it. And this is one of the bigger questions I wanted to be answered to determine is it extraterrestrial individuals using it or is it in fact humans flying it and they have reverse engineered the technology and the fact that he doesn't know provides me some 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 understanding of the situation potentially here you know even though he has a high classified um his tssci he's, he's worked in nga he's probably been in a lot of skiffs heard a lot of information been privy to it and he is not even aware of a program like that what does that tell us it's like you know if we look about the whistleblowers yesterday we look at michael hernandez and we go back to his story where he's saying that the government is operating and using spaceships and David Gresh doesn't know or not aware of it, then those worlds have not touched his understanding of it, which is really good insight into potentially what could go happen. The question still hasn't been answered, but we know that he doesn't have the information or the intel to produce it. Now, those are really two big points I wanted to cover within this podcast because I think there's ultimately a lot more bombshells, and I'll get into them more within the week. I might break it up into a multiple-part series, but that information in itself is enough to marinate on because it determines that we've had treaties in the past to deal with unidentified flying objects, right, going back to 1971, and, and David Grush is not aware, No one, none of these whistleblowers are aware of any situations where humans are flying these ships as it relates to the government capabilities. Even though David Grish is not aware of it, this is something we have to start to think about. Because if it is going on, we have to determine how is this technology being used, and we start to have to put together the story of the why. Why is this happening? Why are they here? And what could it potentially mean? You know, we're peeling back the layers. For so long, we were trying to determine if it was, in fact, UFOs. But after this hearing, we have pretty good insight to say, yeah, there are UAPs. And as a result of it, the question of why, in my opinion, right now is the most relevant one. And it's just going to continue to provide more information as we go. Thank you so much for listening. We'll get back into this information tomorrow. We'll break down the other individuals in it. And thank you for listening. And we'll get back to you tomorrow.